Welcome back to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast. My name is Pastor Jeremy. And I'm Pastor George. And uh, we're back with you on a, a Thursday um, and uh, ready to, to jump in and have a good conversation together about... On a Thursday. Yeah, yeah, right? Uh, you know, we try for these Monday things. But you know, if you're, if you're a fan of the podcast, you've been with us long enough, you, you know how this works now. Like, we really, really try for Mondays, but sometimes they just don't work. And we just, we hope to get some content out because we enjoy this. This is a... Uh, I feel like this conversation that we get to have here together is always one that is um, exciting and fueling for the rest of my week. And now that we're closing out a week, yeah, maybe it'll just be exciting and fueling for the weekend. I don't and know. And if we didn't have it here, we'd still have it. It's just that you wouldn't get any of it. I know. And that's actually been the problem this week is we've had like three or four of these conversations this week in the office. And, you know, just, yeah. oh, we should have... We should have recorded this. We no, would have had no digits running. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that, y'all. You just have to hope that, that we can recapture some of those conversations in a later date. Maybe. Um, Maybe. But uh, yeah, so for those of you who are new with us, welcome. Uh, we're a father and son pastoral team. We serve a local church in Methuen, Massachusetts, uh, north of Boston. And uh, we, uh, we love the local church. We love, uh, we love um, you know, just the, the call that God's placed in our life to serve him in this way. And... Uh, we started this podcast with the hope of uh, giving you, the listener, the opportunity to hear what pastors tend to think about and talk about throughout the rest of their weeks. Um, it's not uh, being a pastor is not just studying your Bible, praying every day for your congregation, and preparing sermons. There's just a lot to this uh, to this calling, which is why we're here on Thursday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's a lot to this calling, and and uh, there's uh, there's just there are a lot of things that that take up our energy and our time, and uh, we love all of that. But it is, uh, you know, it's a chance for you to kind of hear and listen in on what some of the things are that we talk about through the week. So welcome. Uh, we uh, we kick off every episode with a theological term of the week. The Theological Term of the Week. And this week's term is... Regeneration. Yeah, I think we promised that last week. Yeah, I have it circled yeah. in my notes here to, to go back and talk about regeneration. We're talking about salvation terms. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, the, the point of this, this is that there are uh, a number of words that we use as pastors, that you <coughs> use within um, the Christian circle that... Um, may sound like familiar words, but you may not know the definition to them. So we want to make sure that you have a working um, vocabulary of, of theological words that you can uh, rely on and use and, and know the backstory behind so that they're useful for, in your own, uh, you know, for your own edification. So right, right. we're talking about salvation words. The word of the week is regeneration. Talk, right. What does regeneration mean? So regeneration means to be made alive again, hmm. to regenerate. So, like uh, Frankenstein's monster. Exactly. It is alive! <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not Frankenstein, his monster. Right. Yeah. That's right, because... Right. Or Frankenstein. Right. Hmm. Stein. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. 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 So, uh, to be uh, reanimated, to be... Reanimated, re yes. No. Yes, reanimated, re... Well, the word generate obviously comes from the concept of empower, mm -hmm. right? So, to be repowered. Okay. To, to be turned back on, if you will. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So back, probably the only place that you actually see the word is in uh, Romans 8, I think it is, where um, Paul says that the, um, the, the creation groans eagerly awaiting the regeneration of, hmm. of um, 
the believer, mm. okay, of those that are his. Mm. So you've got that concept, but I think you've got it, you have it also in other places in Scripture, just perhaps in a negative, in a different perspective. Um, the concept we're working here with regeneration is that God has made us alive when we were dead. So you go to Ephesians 2, that's kind of like the quintessential passage of Scripture. Uh, it says that, uh, when, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he quickened us, or he made us alive. I think the ESV translate it, translates it, because nobody talks about being quickened anymore unless mm. you're you know, mm-hmm. buying a new, a new uh, accounting software. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so uh, he says he's, he's quickened us. He's made us alive again when we were dead. And I think that that's an important concept to grasp when we're talking about salvation things, because... Uh, first of all, I think that there are those who think that they can make themselves alive, mm-hmm. um, and you can't make yourself alive. You can't. You know, we're going back to this, some back maybe a little bit to the whole Calvinist theme we talked about a couple of couple of episodes ago, uh, where the concept of I can choose God. Well, you can't choose God if you're dead. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't do much if you're dead, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that that's the cat that that. The right. thing we need to grasp, and here. because of sin, we're all dead. We're all dead, right. absolutely. Which it, there's this like there's this foundational belief, I think, to Christianity that even Christians mess up on that that because of sin, we are all born dead. We're all born evil. We're all naturally in an evil state, separate from God. Right. We've been here a little bit with the baptism concept yeah. too, right? Yeah, exactly. So this is an important thing to remember. This is a this is an this is a vital principle to our faith. That, vital. That um, humanity, because of original sin, and then because of personal sin. But even going back, you've got to keep that in original sin aspect of this. Yeah. You know, I I I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or create any difficulty here, uh, but babies don't die because of their sweetness and innocence babies die because of their sin yeah yeah we, and we, we covered that in a previous uh, conversation right um, and, and I think there's a lot of nuance to that particular <coughs> conversation that's worth listening to and going back to if you've missed that talk um, but the uh, um, but the principle there is that that death enters the world because of sin and it, it impacts all of humanity all. and all of humanity um, is burdened with sin from the womb. Right. And um, and then once once out of the womb, we start sinning right away. It's because it's within our nature and it's it's who we are. Yes. And all of that sin, Scripture says, leads to death. Uh, yeah. It's well, it is death. Yes. It sin, is death. The, its very nature is death. Right. 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 And so um, then, because we are dead people walking, um, there. The only hope. This is this is the salvation. This is the this is the beauty of salvation. It's the good news in the gospel that the only hope that we have for regeneration, for reanimation, for life at all, is is for some outside force to breathe into us and give us life. Yes, which of course God does. Yeah, and I like the I like that you use that phrase that He breathes into us because mm-hmm. of course that's exactly what that's exactly what God did with Adam. In mm-hmm. uh, in the first place, he breathed into him and gave him gave him life. So regeneration is the reality that God breathes into us again and gives us 
New life. New life. Yes. Regeneration. Yes. So we failed the first time. We did. All of humanity is impacted. We did. The only hope is a, is a second chance. Right. Which, of course, so maybe we need to, you know, maybe we need to, we've skirted around a little bit of this today, but, you know, we talk a little bit about death, you know, and, and uh, death is a reality. All of us die. A lot of us see, uh, a lot of us see God's statements about death um, and its inevitability as uh, what God is saying when he says, the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. Mm. And there are those that maybe who take that whole concept and say, well, so the age or the, you know, the generation could use for the word day. Um, but um, Adam and Eve were separated from God immediately. Right. And I think that that's what we miss is that death isn't just the separation of body and soul, which is totally illogical. Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I know that there are a lot of folks who try to do the whole body, soul, spirit, body, soul. And, and I think that I have always been this holist, if you will, that just kind of says, don't separate body and soul. The only thing that separates body and soul is death, and it's not natural. Mm-hmm. Because death is separation, and distinctively, death is separation from God. Yeah. And... If you see death as separation from God, not just as separation from life, then you understand why separation from life is so significant, so important, so so much a part of life, because we all die as a demonstration of the fact that we've been separated from God. So this is interesting to me as we're talking about this. I feel like in so many er- man, maybe most key areas in life, like our earthly experience is a um, an insufficient explanation for the full experience. Right. You know, there, there are these little images that give us a glimpse into the full picture. Like you think about like sex and the way that humanity is, you know, ruined. Fixated sex, on it too, right? yeah. And like sex ultimately is the communion of souls. Yes. Right. And that the purpose of sex isn't just for the continuation of the species. Right. Um, otherwise, it wouldn't be fun and it wouldn't be something that people crave and it wouldn't be, some, you know, and it would result in a baby nearly every time. Like there's, there's more to the purpose for this than, than, just, you know, than just the continuation of the species. <clears throat> right. But it also is an imperfect image um, that we also, that we also, um, because it's an imperfect image, we also sin by, by making it more imperfect by by failing to realize its full significance. Right. 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 And so ultimately, um, sex gives us this image of full communion that um, that we can experience in the presence of God, and that God experiences in the triune nature in His triune nature. Like it's just like this momentary glimpse. Into yeah. That, right. Um, so you take that you take that same kind of idea with that or any other really like. Um, important uh, human experience. Yes. And you say like this important human experience is an imperfect image of what we were actually designed to be. Right. And we can either sin with that imperfect image by, by um, shortchanging it or losing its value or um, manipulating what it should be and into something that it shouldn't be. Or you can see it as the imperfect image to a, to what we could experience in perfection. Yes. And so um, you go to this idea of death. Death is an imperfect image, 
right? Like death is for, for the average human being, we think of death purely in terms of, um, uh, uh, your heart no longer functions, your brain no longer functions, they put you in the dirt or they put or or into an urn. That's yeah, death. Yeah. I but mean, that's we, an imperfect image, look, right? We're, it's we're, not the even, fullness. We even struggle with that because like you said, your heart fails to, or your brain fails to function. So, I mean, we can't even define death. Right. And it's hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because my heart ceased to function for like four seconds once. Yeah. Like, was I dead? Like, I've wondered this question a lot. Like, I watched myself flatline. Was I dead that time? Like, yeah, you, know, you know, there there are these like there are these medical definitions that try and figure out when exactly the point of death is, and you just know that when you watch a medical TV show, they look up at the clock and they cl- declare a time. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So, but that's an imperfect image of what actual death is. It's just the it's it's just this earthly piece that we can wrap our minds around, but it's not the fullness of what death is. The fullness of death is separation from God. Right. Exactly. And that's that's the issue. It's not. So you see separation, right? We, we, we've done a lot of funerals the last couple of weeks, yeah. d- attended a lot of funerals, and uh, uh, you see this separation concept of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm separated from my loved one. Yeah, and my loved one is separated from who they were. Like we talk about this, like our, yes. you know, there was an open casket for one of the funerals that we had to take our girls to. And like, this is, not, this, this is the shell. This is the, this is the home the earthly that, tent. This is Second this, Corinthians yes. chapter five. This that's not your great grandfather. Like your great grandfather is in the presence of Jesus right now, right? Like there is this separation moment that we talk about, right, right, right. But grasping that that separation moment has existed for all of us with with God since from, Adam and Eve. Yeah, from Adam and Eve. So it's not even something that we've. Here's here's the crazy, right? We've it's, never experienced life. We've never experienced life. Until, yeah, until the Holy Spirit of God enters into us and rebreathes us, re the Spirit word word Spirit by the way in the Old and New Testament means uh, means wind mm-hmm. um, or breath. Mm-hmm. So the Holy Breath, the Holy Spirit, enters us and opens our eyes like it was the very first moment of our existence. Yeah. And and uh, and that's what regeneration is all about. Suddenly, I see what reality is all about, and I react to that reality. This is something that those who don't know Jesus as their Savior will never comprehend, apart from the the regenerative work of God. Yeah, they'll you will never see this world. If if you're an unbeliever listening to me right now. You will never see the world the way it's supposed to be without Jesus in your life who suddenly changes everything. It's, um, well, we're talking sex, so it's kind of like the Pleasantville concept, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where, uh, <clears throat> you know, I, I don't know if you have, I've actually never, I've actually never seen the movie because I've never actually been interested in it. <laughs> but you understand the <clears throat> But yeah, I know the that you understand yeah. the premise of it. It's the idea that, you know, all, all of life is black and white until, you know, you. Until sex enters. Until sex enters. Through. And yeah. suddenly you get color and you see all of the people in color who, you know, but that. That's in some ways that's that's faith in Christ. That's that's what happens, uh, and that's why that's why Paul can say, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Mm-hmm. He's been regenerated. In other words, all things 
all oldest passed away. Oh, the oldest, the new has come. Yeah. So Christians, Christians, because of the regenerative work of God, because of regeneration, we finally see the way, the world the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. It's a bold claim, and I think for people who aren't believers, and even some of you listening who are believers, you hear something like that, and you say, "Well, that sounds more like a drug trip than it than like anything else." And uh, honestly. You should even that statement. As I'm thinking about that, like should should communicate something to us. Like perhaps the reason drugs have such a hold on our culture is because it's a uh, it's an imperfect shortcut to try and experience right what is real. What is real, and but like every idol, idols, you know, an idol will promise something more and always demand more it'll give less and demand more over time yeah and so um so that's the way drugs work right like drugs give give you less every time but they demand more of you every time you take yes um but people will continue to pursue a high because at one point they experienced something incredible they experienced something transformative for them and they continue to chase the high but because it's an idol it continues to demand more of them and ultimately demands their life. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. the thing about truth is when it's not an idol, but when it is truth, the capital T truth, when it is the Lord. Jesus. You know, yes. Then it is the it is the polar opposite. It, 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 every time it, it gives you more. Yes. But it also demands mm-hmm. a lot of you at the very beginning. And, and, and here's the thing. Here's the thing that maybe a lot of people don't grasp. Yeah. When we're talking about regeneration... Here's the root of why Christians say that Christ has to be the center of all that we do. Mm-hmm. It's because the power of regeneration is such that well, it changes the outcomes. It, it changes the perspective. It, your, family, your family is no longer just important because, because they're yours, mm. right? Their fam- your family is now important because it's God-given. Mm-hmm. So, or even, I mean, he, here's, here's, here's the words of a grandfather, right? I pray for my grandchildren every single night mm-hmm. because uh, I want them to have the same, the same experience with Jesus that I have. I want them to have, uh, I, I want, I, we have some young, young grandchildren um, who haven't come to that point where they understand what it means to ask Jesus to be their Savior. So I'm praying for them that, mm-hmm. that they'll understand that and that they'll make a decision to follow Christ as their Savior. But I'm also praying for those that have asked Christ to be their Savior because I want them to have an experientially full life where Christ is in the center and is informing their their lives, their relationships, their choices, their, their vision of the world and, and all of those things because... That's what Jesus does. He informs all of those things. It, right. It's it's the regenerative concept, and so I can. I'm concerned about my family. I'm concerned about my finances. I'm concerned about. Uh, I'm concerned about people that I know and love. I'm concerned about um, nature. I'm concerned about all things, but I'm concerned about all of those things, not just through a selfish or human or even at a, an informed humanist perspective, mm-hmm. where the world is telling me why I should be concerned. For example, the world wants to tell me why I should be concerned about the war in Ukraine, mm-hmm. right? Maybe I'm concerned about the war of Ukraine in Ukraine, but I'm not concerned about it the same way the world is because I'm, in, 
informed by what Jesus says about it. Right, right. So I think that's something that dif- differentiates us as believers in our world. And it, listen, this creates tension. Sure. Okay? Regeneration creates tension. It, it creates the tension of because you're regenerated, because the rest of the world around you is dead, you're doing things with meaning and significance, and the world is just going through the motions of it. Mm-hmm. And they're doing it, they're, they're, they're pursuing maybe a similar end, but from the wrong direction, and it's leaving them more and more empty. Yeah. And, but they're looking at a believer who walks with purpose and meaning, and yeah, there's naturally conflict there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, ultimately, this, uh, this idea of you are dead until you know Jesus, and then you are regenerated, you're created anew, um, now able to live into the fullness that you were designed for. Um, that, that's, 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 that's the essence of the gospel. Like yes. All of these words, right? They're the essence of the gospel that we're yes. talking about. Yes. But it is what makes this redemptive story um, of God's work in the world such a powerful thing for us and it's why it should orient us um and be our primary focus in life uh so there you go there's there's uh there's regeneration our theological term of the week the theological term of the week so while we were having this conversation last week um there is this moment in the talk in the conversation that made me scribble something in my notes i just wrote talk about judas question mark (laughs) and i'm not even sure what we were talking about at the time but something like triggered that thought in my head as we were talking about it last week like hey we should talk we don't talk about judas um no no uh but i was gonna say should we have a song up on this one (laughs) but he's one of these he's an interesting character to me that I, don't, I think there's a lot to be learned from his existence in the gospel story. And, and I think there's like, I don't know, he's just, he's just one of these people that we make a lot of assumptions about and then yeah. we just kind of move on. Like he's this foil, he's the bad guy. Um, but we don't even talk about him really. But we don't like learn from this no. guy. Oh, and no. so he just, you know, I'm fascinated by Judas, to be honest. Like I have gone through these periods in my um faith journey where I've looked at his story. I've even wondered, you know, like I remember, um, I think what triggered this thought for me first, you know, made me think about Judas in a different way. Um, has probably in high school, we were reading Dante and we we're reading <laughs> the Inferno and it was like who in the final circle, was it just like the Pope and Judas? The Pope and Judas. Yeah. yeah they're the only two who have made it to that final circle of hell. Yeah. And like what happened in my head as, you know, a Baptist kid at the time was, yeah, of course the Pope's there, but why Judas? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, which, you know, I, 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 I've grown, I've matured a little bit there, but I get now, you know, what, what I get what the writer's trying to do. You know, I, I understand what Dante's trying to, exp- you know, to talk about there with the, his whole, with the whole allegory of the Inferno, which is brilliant. It's a yes. masterpiece. Yeah, sure. Earned that. Um, but yeah, Judas, like when I remember reading that thinking like, oh, that's interesting that we put Judas in like the worst part of hell. Like, um, and yeah, yeah, we get so many, there's so many conflicting things about him, right? Yeah. Like, 
he's still hey here's the thing right like you read it you read his entrance into the story like his his pieces of the story right yeah like he's still the guy who's there from the beginning following jesus around like right. he's one of the 72 who gets sent out even more he's one of the 12 he, he's, he's one of the, the, the 12, initial right? 12 yeah that's what i'm saying like so he's he's in this core group. He's one of those missionaries. He's experienced everything that Jesus cast has out done. Demons in Jesus he's name. cast out demons. Yeah, yeah. He's he's participated in the miracles of Jesus. And he's he is he has been front and center for all of Jesus' ministry and all of his teaching, which I understand. Like it makes the betrayal deeper. Yeah. And we see that and we're like that, you know, that's why he's so evil, because he saw all of this. But then you get through um you get through the story of his um uh, handing Jesus over to the officials, and then you get to the moment of remorse, right? Where he he realizes he's created a, a horrible error, right? And he throws the silver back into the temple. They won't take it. They buy the potter's field. And then he goes and he hangs himself, right? He either impales himself on a tree or he hangs himself by rope. He could have done both. And right, yeah, right, I've seen the theory things, is right? that he's hangs himself. The, they never remove the body. The body falls, falls. and impales. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, either way, grisly. Yeah. And so I, I see all that stuff. I'm like, well, if the thief on the cross can experience forgiveness despite the decisions he's made to get him to the cross, is it possible that Judas, in his remorse after handing Jesus over to be crucified, would also experience that same grace? And would we be surprised to find him in heaven? So in Only words, leaving Hitler in hell. And, and the Pope. <laughs> and the Pope. <laughs> yeah. So, so actually, I think what you're doing here, I think what we're going back to is we had a conversation about repentance a couple of weeks ago. Maybe that's ago. what it was. That, that's, that's probably what, yeah, what stirred that's what this, triggered right? this, yeah. So uh, I think, I think the, the burning question, which I remember this, I, this was one of those 2 a.m. conversations in my college dorm when I was in college. It was, you know, was, was, was Judas saved? Mm-hmm. And and that is that's always been one of those ongoing, yeah, ongoing college questions. Right. Was he saved all along? And he just made a horrible sin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which of course, then you know, some of our Armenian friends, Armenian friends are like, uh, well, it well, doesn't can, matter. Yeah. Can, I, can I lose my salvation? Yeah. Right. Or you know, what what do I do with that? And and I think so. I think you take a couple of things. First of all, let's let's fill in a couple of blanks about Judas. Right. Uh, we know that. Judas is his last name is Iscariot, which makes him, uh, you know, I, th- I think that he's probably f- he's not he's not Simon the Zealot. Zealot it, it kind of demonstrates um, Zealot. He's part of the terrorist group. Like yeah, that Zealots terrorist are terrorists. Yeah. You know, um, so you know, one of the things that you see of Jesus' ministry is that the twelve are a diverse group. I mean, you yeah. have. You have James. The, you have James, who probably is is probably in his fifties or sixties, and um, is one of the first to be uh, to be um, killed. And then you also have, but then you go all the way down to John, who's like sixteen, and you know. Then you've got you, you've got people who obviously have Sadducean backgrounds, like Matthew, and you have you have people who have very worker like activities, like like Peter. And and thinkers like Bartholomew and uh, uh, and then you come up with Simon, who is a terrorist, and Judas Iscariot, who is uh, who's also probably of that same ilk, hmm. just kind of 
he's there and he's he's you know his name Judas isn't a bad name mm-hmm. it's become a bad name but yeah you don't name your kid that now right but uh you would name you would actually name your child something which is a, a similar a similar um name you would name him Judah right uh, or Jude yep um, those all came from the same root so Judas Judas has that I, I think that you see that he he experiences the proximity of God. Jesus understands the teachings in many ways. Um, but there are also, we also know that there are issues already uh, creeping into Judas's life long before you get to, uh, get to that. You get to Gethsemane. To yeah. Gethsemane. Because, he, for example, when, uh, when Mary anoints Jesus with, uh, with the, the spike nard, uh, anoints his feet and then wipes his feet with her hair and uh, and the perfume fills the room. He's the only one who's offended, mm-hmm. and he's the one, um, uh, according to Matthew, who says, "You know, why was this wasted when it could have been sold and given to the poor?" And that's when we find out that Judas was the keeper of the purse. He was the he was the treasurer for the group, and he was he was skimming. Mm-hmm. He was he was stealing he was stealing from Jesus. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, all of us I do can, that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, he, he was he was a he had he had difficult issues. Yeah. Right? So, but which he's which, not the only disciple with difficulties. No, no, not by any means. That's the kind not of the point, means. Right? exactly, right? So I'm waiting, you know, I'm waiting for Disney to come out with a, uh, you know, a Judas Iscariot <laughs> backstory. backstory that shows so, that he's just a just misunderstood mis- person. He's a misunderstood and, villain. Yes. Yeah. If you would yeah. understood his backstory, then you would have, you, you would you like would him better and you would feel yeah. for him. Yeah. You'd That's a thing for us, him. isn't it? Like this is a, this is a current cultural move. Like, there's always a reason. This is like, it's actually a, a pretty harsh dichotomy now that I think about it. Like we want to always give a reason for why somebody turns evil. Right. Right. But we also want to be able to, like, there are certain evil acts that are so evil that even our whole, our culture can align behind and call evil. Yeah. Right. So like, think of like, I mean, we, um, there was a, there was a shooting right lately, um, in a school and we want to be able to call that shooter evil. I think culturally we all will do that. We're all we're all pretty comfortable calling that individual evil. But then what will happen in the wake of that is we will come up for reasons why their evil existed. We'll talk about mental illness. We'll talk about a bad upbringing. We'll talk about problems that created them Cannabis or led them toward yesterday. That was, an oh, interesting all right. One, yeah. yeah. Um, and then we'll ultimately blame their, like their 30 pieces of silver for the reason why they killed so many, not yeah. their heart for the reason why they killed so yeah. many. But that's the thing we'll do, right? We'll 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 come up with we want to explain evil. Right. Right. That's right. a piece of this. That's a piece for right. us as humans. Right. Um we want to be able to humanize evil. Right. Because we, we struggle with just being able to say, no, evil is evil, and evil comes because we're all dead. Right. And because sin Nice tie in, I like yeah, that. Like yeah, because we're all sinners. Um and but yeah, we wrestle with this with, with with Judas. Like, and I I personally have wrestled with this with Judas. Like, is it just that the the man like gets this point in his um his life where his vision is clouded by the cares and worries of the world, and he's like that, like in Jesus's um, parable of the sower, like you know things like 
things like the needs of the poor and the wealth that he doesn't have and and uh, his concern yeah. over local politics. They're like the thorns that have come in and choked out his burgeoning faith and he fought, he fails. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, you just, you, I, you know, what do you do with that? Yeah. What do you do with that kind of individual? Yeah. And because to take this further, we all know that individual in our own life now. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, can I just throw one other aspect of this in rabbit trail? And that is that the other thing that we do culturally is, so we try to understand, we try to understand our Judases Mm -hmm. and give them some kind of out, you know, some kind of excuse, some kind of humanization that makes them more likable. But at the same time, uh, one of the, one of the moves in literature and in culture is that we can't have perfect heroes. Mm -hmm. So we have, we also labor at the destruction of anybody who is good or who was a hero. We have to find, we had, we had to do the we had to do the Hercules thing. Yeah. So we just like to compress people. We have in to, well we come yeah. we have to find their flaws. Yeah. We have to make sure that everybody knows that your best hero in the world is flawed. Mm-hmm. That there's and, and they'll I mean they'll come out with stuff that just you know you've got Thomas Jefferson was uh, having children with his slaves and and you know just all kinds of stuff that just kind of goes way out in another direction i think uh because we want to we want to humanize and here's that's the key word we ha- we want to humanize we want to we want to bring up the evil people and bring down the good people so that we have something in the middle that enables us to get to a pragmatism v- level of saying it's just the choices that they made mm-hmm. so judas is bad because of the choices that he made Hmm. and i think that we're failing if that's the case because we look at judas and really it's not his choices it's judas Hmm. Mm -hmm. judas makes yes judas makes bad choices yeah right and he regrets those bad choices yes that's an important word in that but i think that one of the things that has to inform us also is what it's what Scripture says of Judas and what Jesus says of Judas in kind of a backhanded way in John chapter 17 because mm-hmm. he said, he, he's speaking of his disciples, he's praying for his disciples, and he says, he says to the Father, I've lost none of them hmm. except for that one which was doomed from the beginning. Hmm. So I think that this is a... I think that what you see with Judas, quite honestly, is I think that you see unbelief desiring to have belief. Hmm. It masquerades. It, uh, it, it knows the language. It knows the vocabulary. Uh, it knows the drill. It knows exactly what's, gonna hap- what's going to happen. I, I sometimes wonder. So here's, I mean, we... We put Judas, Judas goes out twice. He goes out once with the 12. He goes out a second time with the 72. They always go out two by two. I sometimes wonder if the two by two was because they all knew that, or that if Judas, Judas went by knew, himself. If Judas went by himself, it would be fruitless. Huh. Right? But he still, he still experiences it. Um, there, there's some interesting <clears throat> things that I think we need to put into perspective for cultural Christianity and and so on here with Judas. He, he still experiences it. He's still a part of it. He still has 
I think he still has the highs of that experience. I think that he hears the message. He understands what the message is all about. He can even parrot the message and share the message. Mm -hmm. But he was doomed from the beginning. Hmm. Now, part of our conversation here has been, you know, I'm wondering about about Judas, and you've brought up several times, and and I agree, he, he regrets what he does. Yeah. Right? Regret and remorse are not repentance. repentance. And it's interesting because the scripture paints these two pictures, right? You have two disciples, both of whom reject Jesus in the, uh, in the trial and crucifixion. You have, you have Judas who, for whatever reason decides that 30 pieces of silver is greater than the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And he works with the, works with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the, the, the priests, and all, all of the Sanhedrin, works with them to undermine Jesus and to identify Jesus in the dark. Mm-hmm. He does that all for 30 pieces of silver, which is kind of fitting given the fact that he's the treasurer and skimming. He, he, he wants the money. Mm-hmm. He wants the money. And and that's pretty sad. And when he's done with that, the scripture says that he was filled with remorse and tries to return the money. And uh, you know the Pharisees identify the the Sanhedrin identify exactly what that money was. They don't want it. They don't want blood money. Yeah. No, they don't want it. They, they that was that was treasonous money. We don't don't want anything to do with that. That would be against the law mm. for them to take that. So uh, on the other hand, you have. You have Peter. Jesus says to Peter, you know, before, the, before this night is over, mm-hmm. you're going to deny me three times. The third time that Peter denies Jesus, he knows exactly what he did. He's filled with remorse, but he's also willing to repent of it. Right, because the difference is, like, so you, you see the difference worked out in what happens after the moment of remorse, right? So... Moment of remorse for um, Judas is suicide. Exactly. And moment of remorse for Peter is, at first, it's returning to the man he was before Jesus. Yes. But then when given the opportunity to be in Jesus' presence again is the first person to run toward him. Yes. So the difference being one person in his failure goes inward so far that he can no longer seek Jesus because he never actually sought Jesus to never begin with. Never sought him in the first place. And the other person in his failure went inward, the same, same starting point, but then as soon as he had the moment to be in Jesus' presence, he ran toward him. Right. And I think also like there's, there's this image, whenever I think of repentance, um, versus remorse, I tend to go back to David and Saul and the way that the two of them reacted when they were confronted with their sins. Yes. Right? When Saul gets confronted for, um, for uh, offering sacrifices to the Lord before Samuel gets there. Yes. Um, Saul immediately comes up with excuses for why he did what he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's no, there's no real, there's no repentance. Samuel... You're right. I I did evil, and this was wrong, and I need to make sacrifices to 
to the Lord to ask for his forgiveness. Would you do that for me? Because right. that's the right way to do this. Right, right. Like he, he, he maintains his excuses. He goes inward and he stays right. there. And it leads to his death. Yeah, no repentance. No repentance. No Remor- change just, of direction. Right, just right? remorse. Just remorse. And yes. so David, when he's confronted with his adultery and murder, um, exceptional remorse, but then immediately recognizes his sin, calls it sin, and seeks after the Lord for repentance. Against you, and you only have I sinned. Yes. Yes, right? Yes, exactly. And so I think the same thing happens with Judas and with Peter. Exactly. They're both remorseful. They both... um, they both go inward in their mourning over their over their sin, um, but what you know, one pursues the Lord in order to find forgiveness for his There's sin. There's the key, yes. and the other stays in his remorse and it ultimately leads to his death. Right. So I think there's there's three aspects of this. Right. You get sin. Sin leads to remorse. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. All right. Which. Uh, we've talked about this too, you know, that whole, I'm sorry, uh, it's, that's, that's an emotional expression, mm-hmm. right? And, and it's not like if you're dealing with, if you're dealing with somebody who uh, has injured someone else, the words, I'm sorry, uh, to me are meaningless. Mm. That just means I, I'm feeling bad. I have an emotion or I have a, an experience and, and remorse is I'm sorry. And it could be, I'm sorry for what I did, but I'm, is it, I'm sorry for what I did because it's making me feel bad? Hmm. Or is it, I'm sorry for what I did because it was, I, I thought it was fine, but you misunderstood it. Hmm. Um, I'm sorry for getting caught. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sorry for the consequences that I'm now going to face. Or even, I'm, I recognize now that what I did caused pain to others, and I feel bad about that. It sounds yeah. like a senator or something. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like, oh man, I didn't mean to hurt others. And I, I'm really sorry. I, if I had if I had had a better perspective on what I was doing, I never would have yeah. done. Or that. if I hurt you, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you, you get all of that. And thing. I think those feelings. I think those feelings can be invented, but I also think a lot of times those feelings are genuine feelings. Oh, absolutely. I, I think yeah. the Jews. Whenever somebody expresses, definitely. obviously, yeah, that's that's where I was getting at. Like, you know, a lot of times we don't tr- we don't trust the apology because. We're not sure if somebody's inventing their sorrow or if they're actually feeling it. But if it looks like they're feeling the sorrow, then we tend to extend grace. Right. Um, but Judas clearly felt the sorrow because he commits suicide. And then gives up. Well, I think the suicide well, is oh, right. too far the sorrow down the comes. You're right. The sorrow comes when he gives the money back. Yeah. I mean, what he's doing there he's is... He's clearly feeling that what he did is wrong. Absolutely. Because he's surrendering. He's surrendering what he's actually made as God. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... He, Mm. We've got some really interesting wow, stuff yeah, here, yeah, right? True. He's willing to, his his remorse is such that he's willing to surrender what's made him as what he's made as God. He's willing to give it back, and when they won't take it, he throws it away. Yeah, right. So, so that's real life change. Real when life, we're looking for repentance, sort of, okay. we're seeing what what Not many of re- us would call life change. Like he's he's but, gotten rid of his idol. That this is the whole point, isn't it? We just we just want behavioral modification. Like we want this person to change and. Hallelujah! Like Judas is a new man. He he's no longer yeah. he's no longer like passionately pursuing wealth over everything else. Like he's given that God up, but he never pursues God. Yeah, there's the problem, right? I think that this is one of those lines we we miss with Judas. He never pursues God. 
what he does is instead of he identifies that he's 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 bereft. He doesn't have a god now. Yeah. He doesn't have he That's doesn't have his so money, yeah. he, but he doesn't have Jesus. He doesn't have he has nothing. He has nothing. So what does he do? He he does what normal remorseful people do who do not have a solution. He goes and he commits suicide. And I think that that's significant here. I think that we need to identify something very, very important about suicide in the life of Judas. You see, I would say that people who commit suicide are saying, I'm filled with regret, but I have no place to take my regret Hmm. because I'm unwilling to take my regret to God. Because if God, if I take my regret to God, then God is going to call me to turn from it and turn to him. And if I turn to him, then I no longer have control. Mm-hmm. So Judas, Judas has remorse. Judas has confession, if you will. Mm-hmm. But he has no, no true repentance. He, yes. It's he, a change of heart. Change would, of heart. Yep. Turns from his idol. Right but fails to turn but to never, God. He doesn't turn to the Lord. And this is, this is an issue. This is an issue. He fails to turn to God. Hold that up, instead of to Peter, hold that up to the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. Because he's, he's kind of our model for last-minute salvation. <laughs> right, okay? yeah. I, I, I've been told more about the thief on the cross. If, if there's one, it's it's almost as though everybody's theology is based upon a thief on the cross. They're all hoping that on their deathbed they'll be able to accomplish this task, and God isn't concerned about how I live my life. Yeah. But here's the deal with the thief on the cross. He he's remorseful. I mean, he expresses he expresses to the other thief, "You and I are here justly." Yeah. So he's. He's understood his sin, and he understands that his sin has led him to death. Yes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Yep. And in, in a sense, what he does is he's, he's identifying, he's, he's on that moment in time, he's not just turning from his sin, he's turning to Jesus, and he's doing the amazing thing. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Mm-hmm. So hold, that, hold, hold the thief up to Judas. Judas, okay, I've done the wrong thing. I'm sorry. But no recognition that Jesus is God. And in fact, his confession is, I've sinned against innocent blood. It's not... I've not sinned against God. Yeah, I've not sinned against God. I've sinned against innocent blood. And, uh, and, oh, man... So again, I mean, just just to dig this man's grave a little deeper, all right? Um, what he's really saying is, I've I've committed a sin against the accepted morality. Mm-hmm. It's not I've sinned against God. Yeah. Look, folks, I, I got to tell you, I think that this is something significant. I think that. Um, I think that in some ways we have a, a, an easy believism culture that embraces this idea that, you know, I confess sin, all right, because sin is against the basic moral character of the, the world. Yeah. And we all want to be good people. Right. Yeah, good people. Got to be good people. 
But there's never an there's never an embrace of Jesus. Hmm. It's 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 as though we're standing before God and saying, you know, I'm sorry for my sin, which I've heard evangelists ask people to say. You know, I say it. You know, I'm sorry for my sin because that is an important component here. Yes, we need to recognize our sin yes. as sin. The problem, I think, the problem is that we don't turn the full. Dire- we don't. We don't actually find the solution. And a lot of us are comfortable with just feeling better about ourselves because of the cathartic moment of saying that our sin is sinful. <sighs> and now we can breathe easy and move on with life. And right. we've not actually made the full commitment to say, and, and also, you are my Lord. And now you are the center of my world. Yeah. And as long as you're looking to people for that, for that catharsis, you will find your sacrifice unacceptable. Yeah. Because the world is going to look at your confession of sin and and they're just going to... Well, the world doesn't forgive sin. You know, we, we've talked about this. There's there's no... For, I mean, Amber yeah. Heard will not have any forgiveness anywhere. Yeah. Right? Because I'm not even sure Johnny Depp is going to have forgiveness. Because now... Now all of his stuff has been exposed. Yeah, they're right? both sullied, right? They're, oh, yeah. yeah. They're both like, oh, man, I'm... I'm you know, let this guy go. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's disgusting, mm-hmm. which he is. Yeah. yeah, yeah, kind of a pirate kind of life, if you ask yeah. me. But but no one in the world is going to forgive that. Yeah, it's it's like if I'm confessing my sin to the world, the world is going to look at it and say, "Ooh, I don't want anything to do with that." Mm-hmm. You confess your sin to Jesus, and you turn to Jesus and call him God. And the amazing thing is, like a thief on a cross, or like a disciple with a with a control issue, Jesus hears the repentance and he accepts it because it's not just "I'm sorry." It's "I sinned against you. I want you." Mm-hmm. Whereas for Judas, it's "I've sinned against innocent blood, a good person, maybe even God." but he never turns back. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if, if you're looking, you, you know, here's, here's the possibility. If, if you're struggling with, if you're struggling with suicide right now, I mean, anything's possible. You could be listening. I'm going to listen to this podcast and I'm going to go commit suicide. No. Um, if you're struggling with suicide, can I, can I just ask you on top of your remorse, what are you doing with it? Are you just saying, are you, I'm sorry for it, or are you actually handing it over to Jesus? Are you actually asking God for forgiveness? Because here's the amazing thing, is that while Judas couldn't forgive himself, God could have forgiven Judas mm-hmm. if Judas had come. Yeah. I think that's the key here, and that's why I've always rest- that That's the piece of the story I've wrestled with. Like, if... If the story had gone, Judas, in his remorse, tried to return the silver. It wasn't accepted. He threw it in the temple floor. They went out and bought the potter field. So Judas, in his sorrow, returns to the upper room with the other disciples, begs their forgiveness, talks about his sin, says, men, would you, would you welcome me in? I've sinned. He's still not there. But he's, he's in the process of repairing relationships with others that he's broken. And then he's, if he's in the present, if he's there, 
and it's not the 11 in the upper room, but it's the 12. And Jesus shows up oh, after his can you resurrection. That John 21 picture. Yeah. Oh, and man. Judas is there face to face with Jesus, and Jesus extends that forgiveness, which he would have done, I believe. Yeah. Then, because Jesus knew what his purpose was, and Jesus knew what he was here for, then the whole story would be different. Yeah. Yeah. And I think all of us have the opportunity for that kind of forgiveness and redemption. Like there's no point in which like if you're still walking this earth, then you've not done something so extreme that you can't be forgiven by the Lord. Amen. Absolutely. And you can go to his presence. You can you can do the sorrow thing. That's important. That's an important step in this process, recognizing that your sin is sin and that you're calling it sin and saying that this cannot be, should not be a part of my life. And I feel great sorrow over it. And then you can make the next step that a lot of people do and go and try and repair relationships that were broken because of the sin that you created. That's another good step that needs to happen, but it's not the complete process of forgiveness, like going to the one who you've ultimately wronged, right? which is right. You know, you've, you've created a breach in your relationship with the Lord. Right. And going You're to the Lord dead. and saying, Lord, renew me. I, I, yeah. I've sinned against you. I, I want you to have the rightful place as God in my life. Forgive me for my sin. There's, he extends that forgiveness to you. Every time. Yeah. Every single time. Yep. And the yep. failure of Judas is he never does that. Never. Yep. And the beauty of the story of Peter is that he's redeemed by the Lord. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And restored. Yep. And yep. so the question I think for us is what do we want our story to be? Yes. Right? If you're listening to this and you're capable of having the story of redemption, but you need to embrace that repentance and find the regenerative moment. Like you, you need to you know, fully repent, not just be sorrowful, but also recognize that your, your sin ultimately is against a holy God who loves you. And um, the way to find true forgiveness is to go to the Lord and ask for it. Yes. And because only then will, will there be restoration. Right, right. right. Because the scripture says that he will abundantly pardon. Yeah. Awesome. Abundantly pardon. Yeah. So you go, if you've ever wondered, or maybe you haven't, but if you've ever wondered, what, what's the story of Judas and what would Jesus have done if things were different? That's our take on it. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Good answer. Yeah. So, and, you know, we, uh, we all have these people, I think, in our lives who seemed like they were passionate about the Lord, passionate about church, passionate about the experience of Christianity, but have found themselves drawn away and we mourn over those friends and family members, um, there's still hope for them too. Yeah. But the hope doesn't come from their repentance of their current lifestyle like, or their, their remorse over their current lifestyle or their remorse over leaving the church or leaving your friendship or leaving, you know, your fellowship. The, the, the change comes when they recognize Jesus. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's the prayer moment for you, for those people that you love. And uh, that's the encouragement when you get to talk with them. Hey, yeah. if you want change, the only change, it's not, don't ask the church for forgiveness or me for forgiveness. Start with the Lord. Um, yeah, because he, he offers it abundantly. Yeah, good conversation. All right. Well, we're glad you've been with us. Um, yeah, give us some thought. If something happened in that uh, in this conversation today that is there's made you think a little bit more deeply, or maybe it's raised more questions uh, for you, you know, email podcast at marshcorner.com. You know, we would love to interact with you on that. And uh, um, we've glad, we're glad you've come and hung out with us. We'll see you back here soon, hopefully sooner 
um, then, you know, several maybe weeks, Monday, perhaps maybe Monday, perhaps maybe Monday. Monday. Yeah. I'll tune in later and see if we're back with you on Monday. You can check your podcast feed to look for us. But for now, uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. You have been listening to Inside the Pastor Study Podcast with Pastors George and Jeremy Stevens. Artwork by Caitlin Gallagher. Music by San Demetrius. And engineering help from Ashley Gallagher. To find out more about us, head to marshcorner.com.